Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning, Ryan. Good morning, Richard. And how was your week? Been good. I've been to the gym and I'm trying to remember what I've done as I do every single week. Had a busy week. It's not a test, you know. I know it isn't, but you know, it's just nice to know, isn't it? I've done a bit of volunteering and I have also played lots of computer games. I have actually played computer games. Oh, right, of course, because you've got the machine to give you the old school games, haven't you? No, I don't do it on there anymore. I've got. um, Are you giving up on that already? Yeah, I've given up on that. So I just, you know, the Nintendo Switch things. Yeah. So I've got one of those and I've been playing that. Uh, More for a therapeutic value. It has a therapeutic value? Yeah. How? Because it, it takes you out of the world that you're in and, and it's also like very brain training as well. There's brain training games and stuff like that. So it's, oh, right, not just... Just like, this yeah, smash, and, smash yeah. face in um, Street Fighter, this, that and the other. No. Not a Grand Theft Auto, then. I like that. I haven't got that yet. I kind of thought you might say that, but... <laughs> I love that game. Yeah, but that's therapeutic as well because it's all about training the brain to understand and cognitive skills and that sort of stuff. What, and, Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. I think that's a very tenuous idea, Ronnie, that that is something of any therapeutic value. Grand Theft Auto is not exactly the benchmark for therapy, is it? Putting your music on. Oh, just driving about, putting your music on, shooting a few nuns, going and committing various felonies. You don't have to shoot the good people, you just shoot the bad guys. I would. Yeah, you can, but... I'd go and deliberately make as much of a mess as I could. The newer ones, though, terrible what you can do on the new ones, I think. Um, I say terrible, I'm really old, and I'm not that old, by the way. He's not as old as me. No, it's good, because it, it kind of takes you out of the world that you're in, and it's like you can immerse yourself into another world, and it's, it's nice. I wonder if uh, perhaps we should develop a game for alcoholics. You play the whole game, and then the alcoholic is told the day after what they've actually done in Blackout, and oh, given yeah, yeah, a yeah. list. I spoke to somebody once in a... Um, and I know the meetings are anonymous and all that sort of stuff, so I'm not going to mention names, all the meeting, all the place, all the time. No, no, no. Like that. But I heard that one person told me that they played chess in Blackout. They'd never played chess in their life, played chess in Blackout and actually won. And it wasn't until the next day I was told that they had a game of chess. And um, But that's how extraordinary it is, isn't it? Crazy, isn't because it? Because Blackout was total. You yeah, could be is. playing any kind of game and not realise that you'd done it. You could have been at the bingo. You could have been... Yeah, wherever, wherever. Well, you could have been doing anything anywhere, couldn't you? I suppose. I mean, there were times when I've looked out my window to check if my, if my car's there or then it's there, parked neatly on the drive, and I'm like, how on earth did I manage that? What if you won the lottery and you were in blackout and then went and spent it or something and didn't know you'd done it? Or give it That'd away. That'd be a hell of a thing to find out, wouldn't it? But yeah, imagine if you'd won the lottery and you were... won the lottery and you were being all magnanimous and saying, oh, I'm a millionaire now, I can do this and I can do that. And then you wake up the next morning and discover that you've given all your money away. That yeah. whole last lot. <laughs> oh, that'd be sickener, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. That'd be horrible. I would fight for it back. Go On what grounds? Insanity. I gave it away when I was insane. I say it wasn't right in the head. I'd Unfortunately, I don't think a court of law would view it that way. But sure you could try. I would definitely try. It would depend on the judge. I'd speak. I'd go around everybody really nicely and say, "Look, yeah, these are my men. <laughs> you took advantage of me. I wasn't very well." Because it always strikes me with those kind of games that the minute I get obsessed with something like that, I will just go on and on and on. I remember when I first got a PC. Mm-hmm. This is a long time ago, mm-hmm. and Theme Hospital came with it. Okay. And so I start playing Theme Hospital, and the next thing I know is it's six o'clock the next morning. 
I like them type of games. Is that where you like, obviously, well, you're going to build up your hospital? Well, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just pressing buttons to build up this hospital and people get being sick everywhere. And then suddenly I was told how good I was so I could build a new one. <laughs> like a hospital simulator. It was something that was repetitive and addictive. And mm. I suppose that's why I never really got on with computer games in the first place because I knew that if I started playing them, I wouldn't stop playing them. Well, I used to... It started uh, with Chucky Egg, and it didn't get any better. Chucky Egg? I remember off that rings about Chucky Egg. Chucky Egg was a long time ago. They had that on the BBC B and on the Spectrum, I think. I played it on the BBC. Oh, I'm thinking of those eggs, chocolate eggs, what they're called. Them little crunchy chocolate eggs. Mini eggs. <laughs> Chucky mm. Egg. But Chucky Egg was a very, very addictive game. It was an incredibly good game. Mm. When you think of the kind of graphics and memory that were available at the time oh, yeah. to produce something that was that visually effective and actually worked that well was a, a massive achievement it was like the bbc b they were talking about 64 kilobytes was yeah, the biggest yeah, yeah. memory <laughs> most of them came with 32 kilobytes 32 kilobytes that's not even a file on your mobile phone no it's not is it it's mad then you got the nintendo 64 which was 64 megabytes it always doubles, isn't it? And I've done a computer course and I still don't understand why it doubles. It's something to do with the numbers. It has to yeah, be yeah. the numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it goes back to binary. Yeah, yeah, it? right it's back to binary. Because all computer languages are numerically based, aren't they? Yeah, one and zero. So that's why it would double. Because one is double of naught. Is no. it? No, it's not, is it? It's, it's a coding thing. And we're not qualified to talk about coding, so we're not going to. No, we didn't. If we were both drunk, oh, we yeah, would we certainly be very that. qualified. Uh, yeah. And also, Ronnie would be an expert on super string theory, and I would have been disproving Stephen Hawking's theories about the brief history of time. Mm. That's the kind of thing that people do when they're drunk and decide that they know it all. And then they have to wake up and realise that they're not fit enough to go and earn the mortgage for the roof over the head or the rent for the roof over the head or even the car tax. So I go and get drunk again and hold and an involuntary problem. symposium in the pub explaining that I know everything about thermodynamics and astrophysics, which I don't. And then I come home and think, oh shit, I've still got the same bills I can't pay. In spite of my fantastical two days that I don't remember. Hmm. It just goes to show that, doesn't it? When you sober up and... You know, you've, you've got a bit of clean time. Not much. You don't need much to realise the mistakes and the, yeah, how bad it was when you was under the spell of addiction. And It's that bit of distance, isn't it? Because yeah. as soon as I get a bit of distance and things slow down a bit and I can see roughly what I was doing, I don't need to hear it all. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know everything I was doing no. to start with. And it becomes evident that what I was doing was completely out of sync with everyone else and that the way I was behaving was just not rational. Mm -hmm. And then over time, when I find out some more about what I did and how I did it, it becomes more and more alien. It's almost like that was not me. Yeah, That's only me when I was under the influence, which is not quite the same, is it? It's no. that insanity that we're gripped in because of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's get back to the treatment dilemma. This is a very familiar one, this is. You relapsed as soon as you left treatment, but you've not told anyone, and so far as you know, nobody has found out. However, you've been invited on a weekend away by some friends. You know you can't go without taking some drugs and alcohol with you. Do you A, 
say yes and rely on benzos and sleepers for the weekend, B politely decline saying you're unavailable that weekend, C make your relapse public by turning up smashed to a meeting which would mean you wouldn't have to go, D call your sponsor, E fess up to your friends. Oh, that's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? I think because it's a real one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think because of the timing, I would be really awkward, that wouldn't it? Because you'd have to go back through the treatment centre, and there's me thinking of all the bits that you'd have to do. But you know, it's like it's a good time to fess up because it's right at the beginning. It's a chance for you to start fresh quickly. I mean, you haven't gone six months down the line or twelve months down the line. You've just literally come out of treatment centre. So I think the good option there would be to fess up. And well, it's testament to the thing, though, isn't it, Ron? Is that the sooner we fess up after relapsing, the better off we'll be. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because if this has been, even if it's been three weeks, the going to meetings with people when you know that you're secretly using and drinking. It's just pointless, isn't the it? The going through the motions because you think that's what you're meant to be doing, even though you're doing exactly the opposite. To carry on like that for months, you're not going to, are you? Because you're thinking, why am I wasting an hour to get to and from a meeting and, and an hour and a half in a meeting when I don't want to be there? Because it's just a bit and hard. it's not relevant to me because I picked up anyway. And then going on the weekend, I think my actual honest reaction to all of that would have been to get smashed. I think, right, if I get smashed, then it's obvious to everyone what's happened anyway. Mm. And then it gets dealt with as a relapse. And I, I don't have to talk about the rest of it because actually I don't want to be honest about the rest of it. I just want to get smashed and go, oh, I don't understand what happened. That's the way I did it when I relapsed and didn't tell anyone. Isn't that just a way of being able to get in your own way, though? Yeah, that was what I did. And I had to learn a new default on that. Because when it happened again, I yeah. fessed it up straight away. I think you're right. I know the correct thing would be to fess up straight away and not touch the benzos and not get smashed again and stuff like that. But I suppose, for me, if I, I believe what I would probably do is probably get smashed, I think. Because the honest response would be... Yeah, I'll fess up. But the thing is, the first time through treatment, I don't learn that because I probably haven't been honest in treatment anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I still want to get my own way. And because I see loads of other people relapsing, and I think, well, actually, if I do relapse, okay, I've got to go back into treatment, but is that the end of the world? And because I haven't really learned to be honest yet the first time, I'm only speaking for me, here, mm -hmm. then, yeah, of course, I'd have got smashed and thought, let's make this relapse public because then the last few weeks don't matter. Yeah. Because actually, you're going to publicly relapse at some point anyway if you do that on the sly. Mm. People that do that on the sly, you can spot them in meetings anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there comes a point where they hit the fuck it button. Why am I bothering to hide this when I'm doing it anyway and some people have probably already worked it out? Why am I going to meetings while I'm hiding this? I don't need to be in meetings. Oh, yeah, of course you do. What's the point of going to meetings? And so obviously people will either disappear or very publicly relapse. Mm. And once you reach that point of doing it, then okay, yeah, it's got to be dealt with. But I think that capacity for still being dishonest would have been in me the first time I came through treatment. Mm. In fact, it was because that's taken directly from what I did. I didn't fess it up. Yeah. I went through the weekend mm -hmm. on Tamazepam. And of course, I was gagging for a drink the whole weekend. And I hammered it when I got home. But of course, I got home and disappeared for three days and nobody thought anything of it. Mm. And it was another three or four months before I actually just hit the button and said I was of it. 
Yeah, it just becomes all kind of loose. The wheels fall off, don't they? If, if your ship's got a hole in it, eventually it's going to sink, isn't it? And it is that thing, though, Ron, isn't it? It's the, I know, it doesn't matter if no one else knows. Yeah. If I know, yeah. the dishonesty is there. Mm. And if I know, then there comes a point where I either have to fess it up or just let the wheels fall off. Because there's something about being able to walk around with your head held high, knowing yeah. that you've done everything right. You've done something wrong. That's what I learned in treatment, is that keep your side of the street clean, and as long as you know you're not in the wrong, you can't go wrong. And then if you're harbouring a secret, or you know you've done wrong. I think the answer here is either ring your sponsor saying, what the hell do I do, or just fess up. However, the number of people I see going through treatment that don't do that, they move on to the dry ass afterwards, or they move back home, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And you find out about the relapse, but you find out about the relapse when the wheels have come off. Yeah. You then find out afterwards that it's been going on for X amount of time. Yeah. I've seen that happen with people while I've been in the process with changes, where they've not said anything. Mm-hmm. It's happened. Everyone's suspected it. And at some point, the wheels come flying off. They often come flying off when they move house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or when they enter a different routine or they reach a point where they just cannot cope with hiding it anymore because the obsession's on them constantly. And I don't see many people that pick up and just instantly come in and say, this is what's happened. Yeah. I mean, in the course of the last five years, I can think of one who actually, the day after, just came in and held their hands up and fessed up. No, they don't do it, do they? They try and keep it and keep it, and it just gets out of hand. Because, like you say, the whole point in realising that you're an alcoholic or an addict is knowing that it won't just be one night that you can go out and have a drink, because that one night will then become... Yeah, because the way that sly relapse starts is... And this is the way it happened when I did it. was the first time. If you need to make an excuse for not being somewhere else, it's only once. Yeah. I do it. And then the next day, nothing's particularly changed. And then I go back and I see other people in recovery and nobody seems to say anything. And I think, oh, I've got away with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so I start planning when I can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And I plan the times I can get away with it and the days I can get away with it. But eventually there comes a day where I've got something planned that doesn't fit in with my surreptitious drinking routine. <laughs> and I get caught out. You get caught out. Or by mistake, I answer the phone at nine o'clock at night when I'm smashed and I don't remember. There comes a point always where this carefully constructed lie, which is built of very thin glass, is going to get smashed. Of course. And either I fess up honestly or I just say sod this and get properly drunk for several months. And this is what's always going to happen if I do this sneaky stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I went through treatment the first time, there's no way I'd got to the level of honesty whereby I was just going to say it. Yeah, that's why I said I'm not sure how I would have handled it, to be fair. I'm glad I haven't been put in this situation. I'm glad it didn't happen. So am I, but it's a pertinent one because so many people do relapse after the first period of treatment. I know people that have kept it a long, long, long time from me from their friends and stuff like that and it's not till they've actually relapsed at the end you think oh you've had a slip well no it wasn't just a slip it was well actually I've been doing this for, for this long and that long you can be in the same house and you can yeah, find yeah. out that someone's been doing it for weeks yeah no I've heard that story far too often 
And there's also our own denial, isn't there, in early recovery? Mm-hmm. I don't want to believe that so-and-so I went through treatment with has yeah, yeah, yeah. lost it. And then that really weird thing whereby we meet someone when we're in treatment, we've mm-hmm. only ever known them clean and sober, and then suddenly we see them pissed. Yeah. And it's really, really jarring to see someone that you've never seen under the influence, but you know a lot about, mm. and you've heard a lot about the way they were under the influence, but you've never seen it. You've only known them as clean and sober, and suddenly, oh my God! There they are. <laughs> true to form. Oh my God, this person is mad. And that, I, that is scary, that is. I've, I've yeah. often thought about that. You know, just seeing somebody who's off it or whatever that you've never seen, how different would they be as a person? And half of them you probably wouldn't want to know. I suppose with this one, really, what we have to iterate again and again and again is if you do pick up after the first time you've been in treatment, it really isn't the end of the world. No. What is the end of the world is if you don't fess it up. Yeah. The end of the world is if you think, oh, well, fuck that then. You go off and carry on and yeah. you don't come back. And you end up dead. Because if you fess it up, then chances are you will find another treatment option mm-hmm. if you don't go through the same wheels you went through the first time. Yeah, you've Because always... a lot of people don't get it first time. And go into the rooms, you know, if you start in the rooms and you're still under the influence, a lot of people have done that and it gradually comes. I know a few people that have gone into the rooms. There was one one chap and he was always in the rooms and he'd had a drink, but he wasn't over the top. He just would explain, look, I've had a drink, I've had two to get out of my bed. But, you know, and it's fine, he's got to a meeting, eventually he's actually sober as a... Because they still say that sober as a judge. Sober I suppose as a, so. Sober as a judge. As now. long as there's not a judge in the room drunk. <laughs> that would make it difficult to say, wouldn't it? Yeah. If there was a drunken judge. I've never well, not that there ever would be here on a Tuesday morning, but if there were. I don't know why that just popped into my head. But yeah, he's, he's doing absolutely, he's doing really well, to be fair. And yeah, he used to come into the room drunk. Yeah, I think it's more about being realistic. If you go through a treatment process and there are 10 people going through it, you may actually find that none of them make it the first time and that a couple of them make it the second time. Mm. And the reality is that it's more about honesty than about anything else. Of course it is. Because if I do screw up, I need to be honest about it. Because if I'm not honest about screwing up, I end up exactly where I was in the first place. Yeah, and the whole point is, if you've come to a treatment centre, you've gone through the whole programme, you relapse, which does happen as we know, and then you fess up straight away well you've actually learnt something in the treatment centre absolutely yeah so and far better for our families yeah that we do that Mm. than that we hide it so what have you got for us story wise story wise well what I was looking at today it's more of a a good news story to be fair because I've been trying to avoid the other it's not good news from the government and and the government are going to Really I don't think we're going to get any good news yeah, there, are it, we? It's an outlaw. It's just about a recovering alcoholic has said falling in love with photography has saved his life. Wow. I've done this one because it's just about, you know when you sober up, you come off the drugs and you go for a treatment, or you don't go for a treatment, you go through the room. What happens to people, what do they do then afterwards? What you know, A lot of people haven't worked for a long time, or what they were interested in before, they're no longer interested in. What do they do with well, this guy? He found photography and was 36 from Northamptonshire said 
that after receiving professional help and support for his drinking, he has remained sober since December 2020. He took up the hobby when he purchased a second-hand drone as a way of getting out of the house with his sons. It has now become his passion and his own form of medication, he said. Um, so basically, he's using photography. You know, like they say, you're fixing your feelings, so instead mm. of the drugs, instead of the drink, well, he's kind of like he's doing that, but in a different sense. So instead of going to the pub all the time and, and mingling, doing his own... The thing is, is it a productive hobby for him? 16 months ago, Benjamin said his how physical and mentally had deteriorated so much that was sent to hospital to undertake medical supervised detox. Since being released from hospital, 10 days later, he's now to not touch a drink, but we did not know now what to do with his time and how, so he took up photography. But he says that it is productive for him because it, it's helping with his mind and it gives him something to do as well instead of not having to spend... That's the key. Yeah. Because I think... It's too easy to say, you know, oh, it's a full-time job for the first year and, oh, you, you've got to go to a meeting every day, you know, and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Mm. We do need to find things to do and we do need to be occupied productively. That doesn't mean you have to go back to work after a month. It doesn't mean you have to fill your entire week with volunteering opportunities. It's but just you do have to have something productive and worthwhile to do. But it's like it's therapeutic for me. It does show some pictures. It's a shame you can't see them because they're absolutely... Especially if it's therapeutic and it's not actually with any great intent to make money or to have any discernible end game. If it's just, I like doing this. When I think of the end of my drinking, there was nothing I liked. Nothing I liked or liked doing and it had been that way for some time. But this is the problem, wasn't it? Because when I was drinking and or taking drugs, I couldn't, everything, you know, cinema, swimming or anything like that, even going to a theme park mm. was, to me, was no good unless I was intoxicated. Because when I was drinking, I couldn't sit through a film in the cinema. No. I'm a complete film freak. Yeah. But I, I couldn't do it when I, I couldn't drinking. do it. And so I would go to the cinema and buy one of their large Cokes, which would cost a fortune drink half of it really quick, fill it, with, fill vodka. it with vodka, I'd get to about a third of the film and then I'd be yeah. sleeping for the rest of it, whoever was we would have to wake me up. Oh dear. But that was it for me, that was what I used to do. So it's like, for me, when I came out of treatment, I did have lots of meetings to do because I opted to take the 1990, so that did take up a lot of time. But what was I doing with the rest of my time? and? I did do a few things, I came and done this podcast. I've always tried to keep myself busy, to be fair. But what I'm trying to get across is that this guy found something to do yeah. to occupy his time and replace the drinking. Well, that's the thing, though, because it's something productive, but it doesn't have a necessary end game. It doesn't no. have to be selling these photos. No, it's not so easy. And also, it's that enjoying doing something, because that's what disappears yes. in the drinking drugs. Yeah. What disappears is any sense of satisfaction from doing anything or from seeing anyone or from being anywhere. Yeah. Everything is just grey at the end. And what this guy has found is that it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, no, and he can... And that doesn't mean you have to win the lottery. And no. it doesn't mean you have to get the job you've always dreamed of. And it doesn't mean you have to get married within six months and then suddenly <laughs> little... Johnny and little Roberta are being born yeah, and everything's idyllic and you've got a nice five-storey mansion because someone has miraculously given yeah. you a job that pays you loads of money. But it's about being realistic about that thing called life beyond your wildest dreams, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. Because I don't know what my dreams are when I'm finishing drinking because no. I don't have any because I'm not actually sleeping. I'm just a coma every so often. 
and I'm getting drunk several times a day without even being drunk. And I don't like doing anything, and I'm not doing anything productive. I'm not doing anything worthwhile. I'm not doing the things that I used to really like doing. <clears throat> so if I get into recovery and I start doing something productive and worthwhile, mm. even if it's not a financial thing, even if it's not a work thing, if it's just a me doing something I like, then this is actually that progression from being at the end of the road to that life that we always dreamed of. We just didn't know what it was when what we came into was? recovery. Yeah, and it just, it just gives him... Who knows? I mean, his pictures might... His work might become famous or whatever, or whatever, however that works, photography. There is some good pictures on there. They might be on postcards or something. Mm -hmm. But Of course, you can sell them online now. Yeah, of course, yeah, you can sell them online. But he's just doing it for... Some, and that's how when they say life behind the wildest dreams who knows what that might lead to for him but at the minute he's only doing it just to keep you occupied and you know it's good he's a happy guy he's got something to do and, and it's stopped him from drinking it's also helping with his mental health I just thought that was quite a nice story no I think um, it's an important one and it's also important for people that are going to bite the bullet if, that, if that's the right saying and, yeah. and stop their drinking and stop their drugs and realise that it's going to cause them nothing but drama and problems and ill health there is something nice to look at when you come out of it it's also a realistic thing because this i'm going to stop drinking drugging and i'm going to stop upsetting everybody i know i'm going to stop alienating my family so they alienate me i'm going to actually accept that there are consequences when i drink and drugs so i'm not going to do it anymore mm. and then everything's going to be hunky-dory and i'm going to go hippy drippy and say oh i've got this wonderful life and everything's going to be fixed. No, it isn't. The world isn't going to fix itself because I get sober. <laughs> However, nice thing is if happening. I have realistic expectations, you know, I'm not going to be off my head anymore. I'm not going to be in constant conflict with everybody for no good reason. Mm. I'm not going to feel like shit every time I come to. I'm not going to be crawling around the floor looking for alcohol so I can actually go out to buy more. Oh. And realistically, from that benchmark... We need to find something worthwhile and something that's life-affirming for us. It just says a lot, doesn't it? Because it's something that he actually enjoys doing. He likes, yeah. he enjoys looking at the scenery, he enjoys yeah. looking at stuff like that, and nature and stuff. So. And he couldn't have done any of that under yeah. the influence, yeah. because he wouldn't have stayed for long enough. Imagine it, if I want to be a photographer, really? I'm going to get me five bottles of cider, please. <laughs> Yeah, I could buy a camera, but of course what will happen is the photographs will magically take themselves <laughs> and then I'll be selling them for a million each. Everything. There'll be NFTs within a week because my photograph's going to be amazing. Meanwhile, the camera ends up at crack converters and I end up on me back in a flat somewhere. Every single thing that I owned, whatever I owned, that didn't get sold, that I didn't sell to crack converters, I never knew how to use it properly. I just knew how to switch it on and switch it off. Like a mobile phone, I'd have like whatever phone it was, I'd just literally know how to text or ring, and that was about it. Yeah, it's an important story that because it's about what we do when we come into recovery. We need to do something, mm. and we can do things connected to being in recovery that are of part of being in recovery that are not relentless fellowship attendance. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to base your entire recovery over going to meetings in every spare moment. No. You do have to find other things to do. You have to find some way of living that doesn't involve being off your head all the time. And taking up a hobby is actually 
a very effective thing. And sometimes the hobby could turn into a way of financing your life or... You couldn't, but it just doesn't, doesn't matter, does it? The thing is, I'm not bothered way. whether it turns yeah, yeah, into yeah. something like that yeah. to begin with because yeah. that's not my mm. default thought anymore. My default thought isn't, oh, well, if I do this, I can make money. That's not my immediate thought. Of course. My immediate thought is going to be, I like doing this. And my sponsor said to me, a job should be a hobby as well. Something, some talk we were talking about, he said, your job should be a hobby. If you enjoy it and you can work it, then it's a bonus. Yeah, the actual idea of enjoying a job, to me, seems absurd when I think of what I've done for a living in the past. <sighs> Every moment that was fun, there were an awful lot of moments that weren't. The trouble is we stitch ourselves up, don't we, to a point where we have mm. to work. We've got to work. We've got to earn a certain amount of money to be able to, you know, to, to afford the lifestyle that we've created. And I suppose it's tied into it, though, isn't it? The fact that everything is not fun when I'm drunk. Mm. Nothing's fun. Nothing is fun. And yet I'm looking for stuff that should be fun and it isn't. And yeah, as you say, that lifestyle we've created that necessitates us coming up with money, yeah. it makes me hate work. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. It's getting in the way. Again. <laughs> it's an inconvenience going to work. Oh, shit, now I've got to do it, because if I don't do it, I can't afford to finance anything. That, that finance agreement I've agreed to, that I've signed me on. I mean, something else where I've agreed to a huge yeah. interest rate. The only time it feels good to sign it is just before the first payment's gone out. Yeah. And then the pain yeah. start going, and it's like, oh. It's, no, no, why did I do this? Oh, I know what I need to do. I need to go bankrupt. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. I oh, know, I think I'll get drunk. That'll solve everything, that will. Everything will go away while I'm drunk. You didn't have to pay to go bankrupt, and I got given the money to go bankrupt by, I think it was my mum or something, and I never did it. Well, this is actually a first for us, then. We have the positive story about recovery we've been looking for, and it's taken over a year... Yeah. for us to find it but we have found it I'll look for more like that that's what I would do because it's all about being positive isn't it as well this this illness and this outlook it's you know yeah, which positive. way am I looking am I looking down or am I looking up or am I looking straight ahead what do I actually want to achieve and how do I want to be in achieving things yeah do I want to be chaotic and confrontational all the time no I probably don't Positive mental attitude as well, isn't it? And oh, absolutely. I, I like the law of attraction as well. I like that kind of stuff. You think positive. They always say, if you've got one foot in, into the future and one foot in the past, what are you doing to today? And if you're actually standing up and you've got one foot forward and one foot back and in the middle, you're pissing on today. Oh, absolutely. Right, in light of that, we have... This is an interesting one. You're filling in a job application for the first time since you got sober. In the section on past work history, do you A, say you were unemployed because you were caring for an elderly friend with no family, B, tell the truth that you were in rehab, C, just say that you were out of work due to burnout, D, lie, inventing a job title and company, giving two of your mates names and numbers as your employer's referees, E, extend the duration of your previous employment to make it look like there are no gaps. <laughs> I know what I would have done then and know what I will do now. Back in the day, I would have just completely blacked out or extended employment. The thing is, that I always know people in the trade that was in the motor trade that would just write you a letter or mm. something anyway. Just tell you was something that you're not. And, but in real life, I would definitely 
explain to them that I've been in recovery for this reason and that reason I'll explain my story to them they might not want to hear it because I think that would give me more clout and explain to them that I haven't been lying in bed all the time that I've also been doing a bit of volunteering a bit of podcast and what have you and getting out and about that brings to the critical thing here isn't it a work history mm-hmm. can include volunteering yes and further education and training which I've been doing and as well the reason why we advocate that people do that when they leave treatment mm-hmm. is because that's how you one get occupied doing something useful mm-hmm. two move yourself on to achieving other things yeah but also it's in order to gain a reference because some of us may well I mean I don't know about you but I came into rehab and I had no one that I could have called on for a reference Mm. not really I mean I've got three now Mm. but when I came in I only had one Mm. and it was important doing the volunteer stuff because it shows that I can turn up on time and it shows that I can do what I'm asked to do and actually to an employer it doesn't matter what I was being paid or Mm. or whether I was being paid did I turn up Mm. did I do what I was meant to be doing I suppose the danger on is that if you do lie on something like this, mm-hmm. what happens when they find out? Yeah, of course, it's just it, you can't lie, really, can you? You can't lie anymore. You've lied all your life. You've told lots of fibs and white lies and bad lies and stuff. It's you've learned that lying's not good, no good for us. It's you've got to be clean from the off. If you haven't lied, there's nothing for them to find out, is there? But if they find out that and you have lied, it's absolutely like, oh. and. There are some horror stories, aren't there, about people having lied on CVs? Yeah, yeah. All sorts of howlers. Looking at it now, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, because it would just be out and out dishonest, and I can't do that now. But way back when, way back, I'd have thought nothing of manufacturing a reference or whatever. I wouldn't want to put myself into a job where if I've had to lie to get the job, that I'm lying. What is it that I'm lying about? My am I lying about my capability? Am I so? If I'm not qualified or I'm not capable or I haven't been put through the test, why would I want to put myself into a situation that's I've got to pretend I'm something I'm not or I'm not qualified for or, mm. or, or I haven't done before and you know it's going to put pressure on me. That when I came into rehab, I refused from that point onwards to put myself through stress and all that kind of stuff and and lying and looking over my shoulder. I want a very simple life. Want it peaceful. I know life isn't always going to be rosy, cozy, and peaceful, but if I can, honestly, makes it a damn sight easier. Of course, it does, and keep my side of the street clean and do the next right thing. And you know all the little things that you hear, that hear there, and everything. You think, oh, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. Well, actually, you know what? They're so simple, it's untrue, but they do work. I don't want to complicate it. There's a reason why I'm having to lie. Well, don't do things that mean you have to lie about them. <laughs> Which, I mean, it goes back to the first dilemma, isn't it? If you don't go out of rehab and then go and get drunk immediately and try and hide it from anyone, if you don't get drunk in the first place, there's nothing to lie about. If you don't create the situation where you feel the need to lie, then you don't need to lie. Keep it simple. <laughs> Keep it simple. And if I feel the need to lie, there must be something icky anyway. There's something wrong, yeah. If you've got to lie, then there's, like you say... I'd done an IT course and I had somebody call me up asking if I'd consider working at an IT company and he was talking about the salaries and this, that and the other and when I spoke to him he said what was you doing last then and I told him I said I'm in rehab and I explained to him about the drinking and I explained to him about the drug 
I was very open and free with him on the mm. phone, and he was really impressed. He said, "It was like, oh, well done." And I can see that you're obviously putting a lot of work into your, to your recovery and stuff mm. like that. And he actually helped me. I didn't want the job. I didn't. I didn't take the job, but it was a decent job. Should I wanted to take it, but I didn't want to. But the fact of the matter was, it was because I told him the truth and in my life, and I he was keen to give somebody. Oh, that'd be good. It'd be a nice, good new start for you. He said itself back on the sales ladder but sales is something that I don't want to go into but it worked well in my favour. Yeah and I think we underestimate the power of honesty as well mm. sometimes it's in the first dilemma we had it's quite obvious if you're not honest you just get yourself in more shit Yeah, and that's on a purely functional level in terms of recovery but this second one on the one hand if I feel the need to lie then something's a bit off but mm. on the other hand if an employer is going to be derogatory and prejudicial about my having that as part of me then I don't want to work for them anyway do so. I I'd far rather work for someone who is tolerant and accepting of these things yeah and there will be employers out there who won't accept the recovery stuff and if they don't then yes. it's not where I want to be is it another thing that I learned in going through the treatment and recovery so far I've learned that we always you know pretended we were somebody that we wasn't so oh absolutely it's that false mm. I will be this version of myself that's going to persuade you that I can do this job, even though I've never done it before. And I'll go and do it anyway, yeah. and then I'll do it for as long as I can blag it, yeah, and no, then use it. it to get another job. Yeah. And this whole thing is these veneers, these facades, these fascias of me, where I am presenting you something that I think is going to get me what I want, mm-hmm. when actually I don't really know what I want. Because if I did, I wouldn't be yeah. constantly playing this game. You gain self-respect and stuff, don't you? So it's a case of, if you don't want me, then that's fine. And that's all the thing about dealing with the world, isn't yeah. it, anyway? I can only deal with the world if I'm at peace with me. Of course. And if I'm not at peace with me, I'll never be at peace with the world. No. It's often tied in with the being honest. Mm-hmm. So long as I'm honest with myself, then I'll be honest with other people. And for those people that do relapse as soon as they leave treatment and don't fess it up. It's a very painful place to be. Of course. It's a horrible place to be. I feel for them. So on the one hand, it's, what the fuck is so wrong with me that I had to drink straight away and they didn't? And on the other hand, is I've got to hide this because I'm going to look stupid. And my family have spent X amount of money to help me while I've been in rehab and look at what I've done. Uh-huh. It's going to be even worse now if I tell them. If I can just stop quietly on my own, Mm -hmm. then they'll never find out and they'll never be any the wiser and everything will be okay. I can manage this myself is what I reach in that one. Yeah. But then when it comes to looking at the job thing, it's like, I better not tell them this because if they find out, I'll be out of a job. I say, before I've even filled out the application, before I've even found out whether I've got an interview or not, before I find out whether I've got offered it or not, I'm already deciding I better not tell them because they might find out and I won't get the job anyway. Because that's what my booze head wants me to do. Wants me to turn down all this stuff so that I can get drunk. I'd be checking where the next rehab centre is because one thing leads on to the next. If you're lying on a job form, where's your head at when it comes to your drinking? (laughs) Probably not in a good place. Mm -hmm. Where are you with everything else? Where are you with your financial sobriety? And so on. It's not just about the actual booze. In fact, it's not about the booze and drugs at all. At all, no. When we get into recovery, it's about how we live because we're now learning to live without them. Yeah. And they don't prop us up all the time. 
Well, booze never propped me up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> never propped me up for a minute. Took you down. What um, was that rope called? What did they used to use in the olden days with the rope and people used to hang over the rope? Hangover. Oh, yeah, the hangover, when they'd just fall down yeah. and hang on a rope. It was called a hangover because they'd come to the next day. This is an absurd idea of like a row of ten drunks on a rope. <laughs> and the next morning they all fall off and go, where have I been? What did I do? Oh, you're, about, you're my best mate, you are. It's a cheap motel. Let's go and get drunk again. <laughs> That'll solve everything. Funny. And it isn't a prop. And it isn't something that's helped me. And like I've said before, I wasn't an appalling drunk. I was fucking good at it. Because I got really, really off my head when I did it. And it wasn't a crutch because it just made me worse. And it just created more and more problems. And yet I thought it was the thing propping me up. It and definitely didn't prop me up. The amount of times I was on the floor, I'd fall over. Yeah. You didn't even make it to the rope then? Mm-hmm. Well, some of us obviously don't make it to the rope. I mean, Couldn't you just put a huge rope outside every Weatherspoons then? <laughs> Would that not save a lot of trouble? It would work in Mansfield. We mentioned Mansfield, Mansfield earlier. Mansfield, yeah. And the, in Mansfield, on a Saturday night, when things are getting a bit tasty, if they've just got a few ropes for afterwards and people can just... I imagine them to be big. ...fall on them. Are they quite big? No. What, the ropes? No, the people in Mansfield. I, I don't think they're any bigger than anywhere else. I don't know why we even thought that. Are you that's... assuming that people in Mansfield are supersized? Supersized. I didn't mean fat, by the way. I meant as in like big, burly geezers and women, maybe. I suppose you kind of imagine that in alien places. You know, Mansfield's not alien to me at all. It's it's near my neck of the woods, and I know it well. And it has a reputation of a certain type for. For Saturday nights, and that doesn't mean it's the only That's place. That's what I mean. The if country. they're beating each other up, then it's be. certainly not the only place in the country with that reputation. There are many, many places yes, there is. in the UK with that reputation. It was a random example, and I certainly don't want to offend everybody. Oh no, 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 in no, 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 That wasn't my intention no, at all. No, not just but I think if in any town you had a rope section, you know, for Saturday night, mm-hmm. instead of those stupid scooters that the city council have paid for, what is the point? They should switch them off at a certain time, shouldn't they? You know, when kick-out starts. Because instead of giving them the rope that they can sleep over, they're giving them a scooter that they can kill each other on. Yeah, maybe, absolutely. Maybe that's the point. Or maybe that's the idea. Because I've seen them. Because they're specially designed, aren't they, to cause accidents during the day. Because the whole of Digbeth is being dug up, <laughs> you've got these peculiar little passages for pedestrians. And there's always some idiot delivering fucking pizza, pizza or someone else on a bloody scooter. And you have to jump out of the way. There's going to come a point where I decide not to and just see them collide. Yeah, but the, you can hear them. Beep, beep. I'm not jumping. Well, I'm a roadrunner. I'm a roadrunner, that's it. I hibernated in the last years of my drinking in my house in Erdington and... I avoided Birmingham all costs. Or, or did I come to Birmingham? But I must have been completely out of it. But anyway, these scooters was new to me, and I was like, "Where have these come from? What are they?" I felt like I'd come into a different time zone. I've yeah. never been. I certainly wouldn't want to be admitting to owning one. Oh. And they keep them in very strange places. The council, don't they? There's one near here, isn't there? What the well, scooters? A row one? of scooters. Yeah. Well, there's two types, isn't there? There's the trendy scooters. Well, I say trendy, mm. but you know there must be the young people tend to buy the scooters, and then you've got the bikes. But I don't. I suppose them. the trendy scooters they're a bit like having a flip phone, whereas the big council ones are like having a brick. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably because they're really unwieldy, aren't they? Yeah, the big ones. <laughs> I can imagine they cause quite a lot of accidents. I never see anybody using them. Weekends. Ones. That rack's always fully racked up with bikes. It's mad. Well, Matt has not made it in today, which is unfortunate. But he will yeah, be back we next week. He's okay. Oh, I'm sure he is. Maybe he's overslept. Happens to us all. Well, except me. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen to me, does it? Anyway, we have exhausted the length and breadth of another program. Mm-hmm. And if you have been in any way affected by anything that you've heard or it's resonated with you with regard to what you're experiencing or the experience of someone close to you or someone you know, then please don't hesitate to look for help. There is plenty of help out there. If you want to ask us anything or send us anything, you can find us at podcast at changesuk.org or as Flat Out Recovery on both Facebook and Twitter. Don't and I think that's it, Nick. Don't suffer in your silence. Yeah, and don't be dishonest if you do screw up. Yeah. That'll be the end. And that is it. Have yeah. a lovely week and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Ciao.